Hey, church family, thank you for joining us online today. If you have a testimony or a prayer request to share with us, you can text HOTL to 97000. If you would like to partner with us in giving, you can text a dollar amount to 84321. We hope you enjoy the message and have a super great day. I, I have the pleasure of introducing tonight our speaker. Um, this uh, mighty person in the Lord is, um, is a wife, a mom. She is a grandma. <laughs> She's a friend. She is a, a, a preacher of the word of God. She speaks the truth. And she is a prophetic voice. And she has a word for us tonight. So would you please stand to your feet and welcome along with me, Meredith Zamora. Come on up, Meredith. Thank you, church. Man, I want to first of all say thank you for being brave and getting out, or you didn't know how icy it was when you left your house, <laughs> and so thank you for not knowing. Either way, thank you for getting here tonight. Um, we get, do get ice storms in the Tri-Cities more often than we would like, and um, they're no joke. It's no joke when freezing rain comes, so if you have people watching from home tonight, we're glad that you were safe and did what you need to, to do. But tomorrow morning, we're believing that the fire of God blows through this region and that the south winds begin to blow and things thaw out so that you could get here. No excuses, no whole bar, no anything. So um, I, I want to take just a minute because I think it's important in the midst of a conference as much as we are here and we celebrate this memorial weekend, really, it's, it's a place where we have put our tent pegs down and we are celebrating what God has done and we are anticipating what is yet to be done, right? It's that position we take at the beginning of the year saying, God, thank you for 2023. Thank you that we survived it for some Thank you that we made it through. Thank you that we overcame. Thank you for your generosity and the prosperity we saw. But we also say thank you, God, that what you did, you are able to do again. And as we look forward, we know that every good thing that God has done is simply a building block for where we can and what he can do and where we can go. And so we don't look at the past as being the greatest moments of our lives. We look at the past as being a marker for the least of the next of what we will see God do. If he did it that good, it's just the bottom of what the next season looks like because God will always outdo himself. And so I want to make sure that in a weekend like this, that you know in the midst of it and as loved and celebrated as Joey and I and our team has felt here with you, that you never celebrate anybody else more than you celebrate the man and woman of God that God gave you. Because tomorrow afternoon, we'll get in a car and go home and go back to our peoples and our things and our, our stuff. 
but they walk life out with you. And they walk through the good, the bad, the ugly. They're the ones who are going to the hospital and sending teams and praying with you and equipping you and rebuking you and loving you and all the rest of it. But would you for one moment get on your feet and let this man and woman of God know how much you that they are thoroughly embarrassed. It's the most uncomfortable place to be as preachers, but it is so important. I wanted to take a moment tonight. I would share a little bit of a story with you, and then we'll preach and hopefully see what God wants to do here in the midst of it and believe God that something mighty happens by the time we are all done, even greater than what we've seen. Worship was phenomenal, always is in this house, but I am believing by the time we leave here, we're better, we're stronger, we're freer, we're greater than when we walked in. So tonight, if you have Bibles or if you just want to look with me, 2 Samuel 23 is where I would like to start. The thought of this is it this chapter is some of David's last words. It's the recap of his life. It's the end of things. And in the midst of his last words, all of a sudden, this portion of scripture is written. And I think it should we should pay attention because something happens that when your life is about ready to end, and if this story was important enough to list in that memorializing of David's life, then we should probably pay attention to what was happening. These are the names in verse 8 of the mighty men of David that whom David had. Jehoshabeth, um, the Teclamite, chief among the captains, was also called Adino, the Esnite. Try, you try these names, please. <laughs> I am not, I am not, I do my best, so grace, grace, right? Because they had killed because he was called Adino, the, Ez, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, uh, one of the three mighty men of David who had defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle. The men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and had and, and stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the, the Herorite. And the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the um, sorry, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Must have been Mexican. So the the people fled <laughs> fled from the Philistines, but 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 he stationed himself. I'm just taking a little bit of license, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field. Yep, he was. He middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and, uh, and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of, of, of 
in the valley, and David <laughs> then in the stronghold, the garrison of the Philistines when they were in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from one of the wells of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink, but poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it for me, O Lord, that I should do this. Those that not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. These were the things done by the three mighty men. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence, which is so evident in this place. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in this house and in this region. And Lord, tonight I ask that you would help me help your people, that Father, your anointing would be upon me, that you would cause me to have grace to reveal and utter forth your word in clarity and in simplicity. Father, that you would anoint my words, but you would also anoint the ears of your people. And that by the time we leave here, Father, chains would be broken, burdens would be lifted, minds would be clearer, and lives would be greater. That, Father, you would be made bigger, the devil would be made smaller, and that we would see victory all around us. We thank you for the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, come and do what you do best, which is the unexpected. We thank you for your great grace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. A few um, months ago, or about a year ago, Joey went to Texas on a trip, and there was a light that turned on inside my car, and I thought, this probably isn't good when it looks like a little engine and it gets bright. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, um, I really think I should probably go check this, and anyway, took the car in, and while he was gone on a ministry trip, I bought myself a new car. First time, first time ever on my own by myself, the owner of the, or the manager of the car lot is a good friend and actually extended family related at some level, so I was sure that I was going to get good care and all the rest of it, but I learned a few things, and after having three boys, one girl, um, she is, thank God for having at least one girl, but the boys have been rough <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. I just for a minute, because I had, um, well, she, she managed to wreck the, our car several times and, and not ever bad enough that we could actually like, like get money out of it like I was so bad at her one time she rear-ended a car because something fell and she leaned down to get it and she said mom cars never stop there <laughs> but a car had stopped in front of her to turn into their driveway when she hit it anyway and so it did more damage to that car than our car and all the rest of it has been good and and so we had to keep the car. Anyway, but, but there were all those seasons we went through, but the boys were rough on things. They hit curbs. They, they, they wrecked cars. They did crazy stuff because they're crazy. 
they just, I, I tried all the right things. I prayed hard. I, I, I fasted. I put oil on them. I put oil on their bedroom. I put oil on their pillows. And it just made them greasier. I don't know. Anyway, they're still alive, though, which is the really good thing. <clears throat> but, but there was, you know, so you have enough kids. You, you do this, and you're like, you get in their car at some point, and you're like, why, why, why is the steering wheel, <laughs> why, why, why am I fighting to drive straight? <laughs> and then you take it in, and you get the tires rotated, which they're like, oh, you're supposed to do that? So anyway, so you can take it in and get the tires rotated, and then you find out that they are all worn out way before they have to, but the boys don't necessarily care because they're not necessarily paying for them yet. I will find a way one day to cash in on all the things <laughs> that they have not yet paid for. Anyway, I'm still working that out with the grandkids, like the dental bills and all that. We're just, we're making it work. So they get all the candy, they want ice cream, whatever they want, and their parents cannot complain. <clears throat> because they entrusted them to us, and what they don't know is none of their business. Anyway, so... so My boys didn't realize that when they hit a curb, it would throw their car out of alignment. And they would just keep driving, and the harder it got to steer, eventually they would say something, like when the tire pressure goes low and all the things begin to happen because of the damage they've done. But here is the point I'm trying to make, because this really is all going somewhere, that when God comes in and begins to align you, it's much like understanding the alignment that needs to happen in your car. Because when your car is in alignment, it gets better gas mileage. When your car is in alignment, it wear, the wear and tear on it is much less. You can use it longer. It works better. It goes faster without shaking. It does things, and it's better on the car when it's in alignment. And the other thing is that it is safer to drive a car that is driving straight than a car that, when you take your hand off the wheel, pulls to the left or the right. You think I'm talking about a car. What I'm talking about is our lives. Because life comes and hits us so often. And we get smacked by this thing or that thing and this offense or that offense. And you don't know Pastor didn't shake my hand today. And, and, and Pastor Robbie didn't hug me. And, and, and somebody looked at me funny and they said my kid cried all the time. Why did they let my kid cry in nursery? Well, you go work in nursery. That is always my answer. You go work in nursery and you'll find out why kids cry because kids cry. And so there are things that happen and we get all upset about crazy stuff. And if we don't ever take the time to make sure that we stay in alignment, then all of a sudden the next thing you know, somebody else gets in close enough to your life and goes, why are you shaking when you're trying to go fast? Or why are you pulling to the side when you should be going straight? What is happening in your life? And I'm here to tell you that this weekend is like a great big chiropractic adjustment that God has come to bring you back into alignment. 
doesn't mean there's anything wrong, doesn't mean there's anything bad that you're doing. It just every once in a while, you need to get some things set back in place. I went back to a chiropractor after not going for a while because I don't like always what they say. And so I went back because my back was bothering me the, a few weeks ago. And he goes, Meredith, can I use your x-rays? He's all excited. And I'm like, sure, what for? And he goes, it's the perfect before and after of what happens when you don't do what you need to do. I'm like, I thought I liked you, and now I have to pay you money to tell me this? And so he, he goes, but here's the beautiful thing. Your body, he goes, if I looked at your x-rays, certain x-rays, I had whiplash when I was a kid, because they put me in a go-kart going 40 miles an hour, and I didn't know how to drive. So I ran into a wall, and, and I got whiplash, and then, and then my jaw locked up, and a bunch of fun things happened, and I just never, you know, my mom probably gave me a couple aspirin and said, go pray. So, so, so now at 50, all those things that happened back then are now showing up in my body, right? Here's the point that he made, though. He goes, the beautiful thing is, if I looked at this angle, I would think you have no stability in your life. In, oh, sorry, in your neck. And he says, but when I look at it from this angle, I see where your body formed its own calcifications and scar tissue that brought security and safety to the areas that were injured. He goes, because you did the things you did at some point in your life to get healthy, your body stabilized itself from the injuries. You think I'm talking about me. I'm talking about us. Because some point in life, you have been hit with enough things that if you don't learn how to find your place of healing, then either you become unstable or you can find a place where the body begins to heal itself or steady itself until the healer can step in to help fix it. Amen. So here we are, because most of us have been through enough life. I am, um, over the course of, of the last seasons of my life, have learned a few things, but but in when I'm reading through scripture, it's funny to me because Paul will begin to talk about running, about that we're supposed to run this race, that he's, that God has given us a mission and a mandate, and we're supposed to run this race. And Paul's writing this in a prison cell, right? He's writing in a place where he is in the worst place of his life, talking about the joy that is set before him. To Timothy, he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In Philippians, he says, I have been running hard toward the finish line to get to the prize that is mine because God has called me through Christ Jesus to a life up there in heaven. In Isaiah, it says it this way. Isaiah the prophet says, but those who trust in 
and the Lord will become strong again. And they will be like eagles who grow feathers. They will run and not get weak. They will walk and they will not get tired. Listen, I am here today to tell you that somewhere coming into 2024, we're going to have to find our pace. And we're going to have to find that there is a race to run that you don't get to default on. Now, I know some of us are only running naturally if there is something chasing us like a cougar or a bear. And then hopefully you're running with somebody who's slower than you. Anyway, we'll leave that alone. But at some point, I'm telling you that there comes a place, as Christians, we have to learn that there is a fight to fight, and there is a walk to walk, and there is a run to run, and you and I don't get to quit doing what we're called to do because life throws things at us. It is very okay to take a moment and get healed. It is very okay to take a place and find your breath and find your peace and find your joy. It is very okay to say, I am not okay at this moment, but it is not okay for you to quit. It is not okay for you to say, I don't get to run this. I'm tired. It's too hard. There's too many disappointments. Church is too hard. Serving God is too hard. Have you tried not serving him? Because I'm telling you, we have sold people out to this rose gold Christianity that says, come serve Jesus and everything will be roses and flowers and rainbows and butterflies. And it's not necessarily true. Life is still hard. But we have the answer. And you have the victory. And you have purpose. And you have destiny. So everything that is hard about your life is not a disqualification. It is the testing of making sure that you are doing what you're supposed to do. It is not punishment as much as it is the place for you to prove the goodness of God in the land of the living. So you quitting is not what it's about because it was never about you. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at anybody. I just want to help you because at some point, Jeremiah talks about the Lord rebukes Jeremiah because he says, how is it that you are tired when you're running with the footmen? But there are chariots, there are horsemen that you're going to have to contend with. And if you can't do this, how can I get you there? Somehow I feel like it's prevalent to the American church right now. How are we tired now when God is wanting to get us there? And the only way to get from here to there is to get undeconditioned and find your race and your pace and start doing what God has called you to do. And it is not always easy. It doesn't always feel good. It's not always fun. But it is good and it is joyful. And you will find peace and purpose and destiny when you lean in so we got to run people you got to find your place and you got to run because there is a race that is set before us there is purpose there is destiny and if Paul could say it from a prison cell knowing what lay before him was a shining guillotine how are we complaining in our heated houses 
with your feet kicked up watching Netflix for the 14th hour of the day. <laughs> While you're ordering your Uber Eats or your Grubhub or your whatever it is because you don't feel like cooking tonight. Postmates, whatever it is. I'm just, I'm just trying to give us a little bit of perspective that at some point, we're not that bad off. It's not that hard. And if it is, we will come alongside you. We will put our arms around you and we will carry you through that season. That is the body of Christ and our mission and mandate is to help each other. We are our brother's keepers. And so we will help you in those seasons because I get there are seasons like that, but most of us are complaining about, about our first world problems. But here you go. So Paul talks to us about running the race, but he also talks to us about learning how to walk. Running the race has to do with understanding your purpose or your destiny or the destination that God has given for you individually. When you learn to walk the walk, it's making sure that you're doing it not just at the end of your life or a portion of your life, but it's a lifestyle that makes it happen. Had this thought a few years ago, working on it still, but most of us live life in the middle. Let me explain real quick. We celebrate our mountaintop experiences, the big wins, the baby, the marriage, the, the promotion, the opening of our business, the grandbabies coming, the vacation we finally got after 20 years, whatever it is, you're celebrating the wins. But most of life, and we hate the low points, we, we, we grit our teeth and we bear through the hardest parts, the places where prayers don't get answered like we think they should, where people pass away that we were contending with life for them, where marriages dissolve when we thought that it was going to turn around, where things don't turn out quite the way. But most of our life isn't spent in the highs or in the lows. Most of it's spent in the middle. And somewhere in the middle is where character is made. It is between the high point and the low point. And especially, I think, in our Western tradition, we have, we memorialize the low and we celebrate the high so much that we forget to live in between. And so we either are trying to escape one season or make it to the next instead of understanding that he is God on the good days and he is God on the hard days. He is still God on Monday. He is God on Tuesday. He is God on Wednesday. He shows up on Thursday. He's still here on Friday. Saturday comes around and God is still God all by himself. And bless God, when we get together on Sunday, we have no problem believing that he is here in the midst of us but somewhere in life we have to learn that there is a walk that we have been called to walk and we walk this walk by faith and not by sight we are walking out our salvation with fear and trembling learning how to live this life every day every moment every hour that we are pursuing 
And I wish, I wish I could just lay hands on you or somebody could lay hands on me and we just get it. Oh, how fun that would be. Because we could take all the dumb stuff out of people's lives and all the dumb mistakes we make and we could just help people get it. Somebody could have helped us get it, could still help us get it. But at some point, there's something about walking things out that changes you. It builds character in you. It causes you to grow up a little bit, to become a little bit stronger, a little bit better, a little bit more compassionate. Causes you to have empathy and compassion for people when you realize that not everything can be fixed quick. I believe in miracles. Miracles are, is a healing or a, a something impossible that happens where God takes time out of the equation, speeds it up, and it's done in an instant. I believe in miracles. I prayed for miracles. I have begged God for miracles. I have walked. I have seen miracles. I have seen incredible things that should have never been able to happen, happen. But most of my life has been spent walking. Walking through good, walking through bad, walking through disappointments, walking through hard stuff. But the difference between people that do something with their lives and people that stop is those who keep walking and those who sit down and quit. And I'm telling you, somewhere in this, you don't get to be a quitter. And you don't get to stop because God has called us to walk some things out. Adam walked with God. Enoch walked with God. And then all of a sudden the Bible says an Enoch was not. He was not what? He was not sick. He was not, he was not where he was before because he just kept walking until he walked so much with God that transformation happened and Enoch just was not. You can walk with God to a point where it changes. You know it walked with God. Matthew 14 talks about Jesus walking on water, taking the unstable things of life, the things that are impossible, and taking dominion over them. He didn't run across it. He didn't swim across it. He walked across it. And sometimes you and I have to be willing to walk some things out. Jesus walked with the disciples. If you were here this morning, Joey did an excellent job talking about the walk on the road to Emmaus. Things happen when you're willing to walk it out. Marriages have testimonies when you walk some things out. I understand that takes two parties. There's no condemnation in that. But sometimes we are so quick to give up in the places where God has called us to walk through. And I'm just telling you that maybe before giving up is our first consideration, we have to have enough tenacity and enough endurance to say we're going to stick this thing out till every rock is overturned, till every hurdle is jumped over, till everything we can do is done. And then we will make decisions after we've walked through it. So watch this. We're called to run. We're called to walk. 
great principles. The Bible's full of things that make you go, huh, you know, we're, we're supposed to run, we're supposed to walk. But then Paul says something in Ephesians, and he talks about putting on the full armor of God, which he never says we're supposed to take off. I just, as a side note, he never says take it off. He just says put it on. And he tells you that after you put it all on, you put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, after you've shod your feet with the gospel of peace, that when you have done all, that if you are going to withstand the darts of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy, then the one thing you still need to do is you need to stand. So when it's all been said and done, you got to learn how to stand. That means you can't easily be pushed over. That means you can't easily be moved. You can't easily just sit down on something, but you got to learn how there is a posture. Sometimes your greatest victory is not running. Sometimes your greatest victory is not even walking. Sometimes your greatest victory is that you outlast your enemies and you stand and you keep on standing when everybody else wants to give up and you say, I cannot give up and I will not sit down on this spiritually speaking I will not sit in the midst of it because if God is with me then I will stand and having done all I will keep on standing until the purposes of God are fulfilled so you say pastor what does this have to do with David's mighty men I'm glad you asked because in the process of it, David had a lot of men that walked with him. People that came and people that went. Some that turned on him because of his mistakes. Some that, that, that couldn't walk it out. Some that got hurt or detoured by the humanness of who David was. And in the process of it, you have these three guys that say, hey, we don't really care what is going on. We know our assignment was to walk with you. And our assignment was to run ahead of you and take care of the things that needed to be to clear the way. Or let me say it this way. Our assignment was to stand in the gap and intercede on your behalf. Because if intercession is standing in the gap, then these three men realized that where there were weaknesses in David's life, they were able to shore up those places by standing and taking the burdens that needed to be to help David do what he needed to do. To the place that when David has a wish for some water, they are willing to give up their lives to go through the enemy's camp and get to the wells and bring back water to David. And then David says, hey, I can't drink this. This was your life. Your blood was risked to get me this. Now, if I would have been one of those three... I would have been like, you better drink it. <laughs> you, be you better drink it. And, and, and David pours it out as an offering and says, I can't take that and partake of it because it almost cost them their lives. And so David had a, a, an honor for who, who was serving him. But they understand their assignment was to walk with him and take care of some things. 
One will slay 800 men in a day. That's some gladiator stuff there. That's a movie making right there in a moment. And one will, will fight so long that they literally had to take the sword out of his hand because the sword was now embedded or clave, his hand claved to it to the point where he couldn't even let go if he wanted to. But now the third one listed was Shama. Interesting to me because Shama was... His story was a little bit different. The, the recording of what he did didn't necessarily have so much to do with David as it did his family. And they say, this, the story reads like this, and I'll paraphrase it, but he, he stood in the middle of his field because the Philistines had come at harvest time. Can I tell you this, my friends? The enemy doesn't care what happens necessarily when you sow. If he can detour you from sowing, he will. Your enemy doesn't care when your, when your fields and your crops are growing. The enemy cares about your harvest season. And over and over, whether you are Gideon dealing with the Midianites or in this place you are Shama dealing with the Philistines, it was harvest time. And something snapped in Shama that day. And he says, hey, I have watched them come and steal from my family over and over and over again. And he sets himself up in the middle of the field, the patch of lentils that had been planted. And you have to understand that they're also dealing with times of famine and all the rest that's happening. And lentils weren't just beans that were eaten. Lentils were also used to make bread. And so he stands in a place where he is now contending for the word of the Lord in his lentil patch. And he says, you have come over and over again to steal what belongs not only to me, but to the provision of a family. And I am sick and tired of being sick and tired and watching you take what I have labored for. And Shama sets himself up in the middle of that field and like, like, playing a game of Red Rover, he stands there and says, hey, whoever you want to send over to my side, go ahead, but I'm taking them out. Because as for me and my house, according to the word of the Lord this day, you don't get to steal my inheritance. You don't get to steal my seed. You don't get to steal. And the Bible says that Shama stood his ground in the middle of that field and said, you you don't get to take it today. I'm telling you, there is a fight that has got to come back to the body of Christ that says we got to quit fighting with each other. Quit fighting with each other and instead put your feet down in the middle of the field God has given you and say, hey, as for me and my house, we're not going to go hungry. We're not going to go without. We're not going to go without the word of the Lord and the promise. 
about you, but somebody in this house, I double dog dare you to stand up on your feet and say, not here, not today. You don't get to take my kid. You don't get to take my grandbabies. You don't get to take my marriage. You don't get to take my business. You don't get to take my peace. You don't get to take my joy. You don't get to take my, my, my health. You don't get to take what God has given me. Somebody ought to take a minute and let some Holy Ghost praise out in this place and declare that God is good. Can I get worship people? Almost done. Shama is the son of Aggie, the Harite. Harite means mountain dweller. He came from a people who lived in high places. His father's name means God will increase. And Shama's name means the Lord who is there. Let me say it this way. That when he understood, his people came from a place of victory. And that his father was a testimony that God would be with him regardless of situations. That he could put his feet down in the middle of that field and say, if I am here, then God will be here with me. And what God has given me, nobody gets to take or separate, but I will fight and contend for the promises of God. Somewhere somebody said there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Somebody else did the math and said that fear not is over 365 times in the Bible. I haven't done the math. Somebody else did it on it. But I know this, that if that be true, then there has to be something between the truth of the word and the manifestation of it in my life that has to be our contention and our fight. My fight is not with flesh and blood. It's hard to remember that sometimes because sometimes you feel like punching people in the throat. Amen. Every once in a while, you would like to do that. I get it. But your fight is not with people. Jesus, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not Howard is your name. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth, in earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is to pull heaven into earth and to see the manifestation of it in the realms God has given us and entrusted us with. Therefore, if you have things in your life that don't line up with over those 7,000 promises, then you have the right to speak to those things that the will of God be manifested in your earth. That's our fight, people. 
I know it's funner to fight with people because that's an easier thing to see. But people aren't your warfare. Nobody is big enough to take the purpose of God off of your life. The only one that can forfeit it is you if you sit down and quit. I could drop the mic and go home right there. But I know these are expensive and I won't do that. I came here tonight to incite a fight back in you. You're not fighting with your pastors. You're not fighting with the vision. You're not fighting, that's division. You're not fighting with the mandate on the house. You're fighting to see heaven manifest into your earth. And when you do that, you find that there's certain things we got to push out of the way. Certain things that have to die. That's what fasting does. Fasting doesn't manipulate God. It gets you, it helps you die so that God can do what he always wanted to do in your life. It just moves you out of the way. Last story. A few years ago, I, I heard this story that I thought was so powerful because there was a young boy who had been in a car accident. And in the car accident, he had lost his left arm. Young child, and as he was growing up into adolescence, the parents were concerned just about his mental health and his fortitude and his ability to stand up for himself because often if you don't look like everybody else, you get picked on. So they put him in these classes and karate classes, jiu-jitsu classes to teach him some basic things about how to defend himself, how to, how to keep himself, how to take care of himself. And when he got into these, the, the, his sensei was great and understood it and took him on as a personal project to work with. His sensei would take him aside and while everybody else was learning multiple moves and throws and different things, he began to teach him over and over again just a few basics. After a few months, he taught him a couple, one, one move in particular and just said, I just need you to master this. It wasn't long into the classes that he told his parents, he goes, I want him to sign up for the tournament this weekend. And the parents are like, okay, this is great. We're seeing all this improvement. But at the end of the day, we know our kid's limitation. And you're gonna throw him into a tournament months after he has began. He goes, just trust me. So the boy, they sign up, they pay the fees, they do the dues, and they get there that day. The boy struggles through the first couple of rounds. He is scared, wide-eyed, and definitely does not look like the rest of the crowd. But he manages through the lower classifications of getting there. And then next thing you know, he finds himself in the championship match. Scared to death because now the kid who he has to fight is got all the medals and awards and classifications and everybody knows this kid's name gets into the first round and he is getting he's getting plummeted like every parent's worst nightmare 
And the sensei has to turn around at some point and look at the mom and dad and say, trust me. He grabs the boy after the first round, pulls him in. He says, I need you to remember what I taught you. If you don't remember anything else, do what I taught you. The move is there. The opportunity is there. Just do what I told you to do. The boy is terrified, a little bit bloody, out of his mind. Just, it's been, a, it's been a day. But he goes back out in the beginning of that second round. He shoots his shot and does what he's been taught. He goes ahead, everything's turning now in his favor. He ends up winning the match. He is ecstatic, his parents are crying. He's like, I can't believe I did it. He's hugging his, his teacher, he's hugging him, and he said, I, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing it. He goes, but I don't know how I won. The sensei looks at him and says, because the only way to defend the move I taught you is by grabbing you by the left arm, which you don't have. Here's the, here's the method behind that madness. You think some of what you don't have, your weaknesses, are the things that disqualify you. But if you would learn the basics, and do what God is telling you to do. Obey the words of your pastors and those who are helping you. You will find that what you think is your greatest inadequacy is really the thing that God wants to use to cause you to win over your enemy. And if you would submit in the place of submission, you will find that God can take what you can't do and make it something that is so powerful that your enemy will not know what to do with you. So my brothers and sisters, when you've done it all, I need you to keep on standing. And when you've stood, you know you, you can stand because you learned how to walk. And you walked because you knew how to run. And when you've run and it all comes back, you just get up on your feet and you stand and you keep on standing. And when it's good, you praise him. And when it's bad, and when it's hard, you praise him. And when it's crazy, you praise him. Because God is good all the time. And he never, ever changed his mind about you. Somebody ought to say something in this place. <laughs>